Well, it's that time of year again when uh, all good hams anywhere in the south head to Huntsville, Alabama. That is true. And we uh, are ready. What have we got? Well, let's see. It's about 360 miles to Huntsville. Uh, we got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. We'll both be wearing sunglasses, and unfortunately, it's daylight. That's the worst thing. You know, I thought that sun started out up in the middle of the sky, but I see it starts kind of over on the edge. Yeah, and it's on the wrong edge for me. I'm used to it being way on the, on the other, other side. <laughs> yeah. Well, we got radios. We got uh, pretty much everything covered. VHF, UHF, HF. We got antennas. We got GPS. We've got blue lights. Yeah. Oh, you got a goodie there, huh? Yeah. And we've got antenna analyzers. Good. I'm not sure. Why did I bring this? On the off chance that I do get my Tar Heel. Ah, okay. So we'll have an idea of uh, where to start on the tuning programming. Okay. And I also brought this. You remember this? Yes, the Megger. The Megger. And that's because we might do a little used coax shopping, and now we know. I'm notorious for that, yes, so we'll know. Yep. I can avoid the uh, unpleasantness of buying bad coax. And by the way, I, I was looking through an MCM Electronics catalog this week, and I, not this exact model, but I found some MCM brand insulation resistance testers in there for around, one of them was, was way less than 100, and the other one was around 100, so... I think those would be pretty good, you know, for the typical ham who needed something like this. That'll probably work. Yeah. Probably work. So, All right. Well, we're going to sign off for now and get on the road. All right, guys. See y'all later. Wayne, looks like we made it to Huntsville. Yeah, by the skin of our teeth. Bye. Nah, we made it easy. We even stopped by NASA for a while. Yeah, we did. That was uh, pretty interesting, getting to see the Saturn V and Space Shuttle and SR-71. Those were pretty neat. A lot of neat stuff in there. We didn't get to spend but an hour, so we didn't hardly get around at all. But we'll have to come back next year and try that again. Well, they're setting up here at the Ham Fest and uh, still... People coming in. You can see a lot of these tables, though, now are covered up. Why is that? So nobody will steal anything. Yeah, I wish they were standing there with signs that said pre-Hamfest discount because we could could make good then. Oh, yeah. That would always be nice. So I don't know what we're going to do tonight. I think, though, you were singing a song a while ago. Yeah, for Red Robin. Yep. So we, we may have to visit Red Robin tonight and... Uh, pick up one of those good hamburgers and come back and hang out with a few ham buddies. Everything looks pretty good so far. Hopefully it'll uh, be packed tomorrow and lots of stuff to buy. We'll be here for it.
See y'all then. It's just about time for Huntsville 2014, and Wayne and I are here standing out in front of the Von Braun Center in front of the fountain. What do you think it's going to be like this year, Wayne? Uh, well, from indications of the number of vehicles we've seen at the hotels nearby, it ought to be pretty good. I think it will be. What's on your shopping list this year? Uh, somebody's been trying to guilt me into a Tar Heel antenna, but uh, no, that's probably what I'm looking for, and uh, maybe some other odd and ends. So you're going to get a tuner with that? Um, probably just a slight upgrade controller, mm-hmm. but I'm not going with a fancy RF tuner, no. So if you if you may notice here over our shoulders, there's some antennas back there. Yeah, uh, yeah. It appears that uh, they're celebrating the 100th year of uh, the AWRL and their special event station W100. AW slash four is operating over in the parking lot of what used to be our hotel, the Holiday Inn. Yeah, yeah, Holiday Inn's closed this year. The building's still there, but they've got the parking lots all roped off and everything. And that was our favorite meeting place was uh, in the bar there. We used to hang out with a lot of hams there in years past, but we'll have to see if we can find an, an alternate spot this year. Yep, hopefully we can. The Huntsville Ham Fest is a big supporter of youth activities, and they had a youth lounge and lots of things going on, like fox hunts, kit building, operating, radio merit badge, scavenger hunts, uh, computers and ham radio, and they were there to answer questions as well. As I wandered through the Ham Fest, I ran across a lot of friends, and here's two right here. It's Ted Randall interviewing Martin Jew from MFJ. Let's have a little chat with Ted when he gets free. It's Sunday morning here at the Huntsville Ham Fest, and I'm talking with Ted Randall. Ted, it's good to see you again. Well, it's good to be here, and this has been a really, really wonderful ham fest so far. Yeah, it has, and you you broadcast live from this event as well as Dayton, don't you? We do. Um, we started doing this years ago, and it was just, we just were thinking, well, what would it be like if we were to take and do a live broadcast on shortwave? that goes all around the world from a ham fest that interview hams and vendors and business-related people that are involved in the, in the, in the amateur radio field. And uh, it, it turned into a monster. I mean, really and truly, the, the following was there. And, and actually, it, it turned into being more fun than the law would allow, I would think, you know, or what should allow. Well, I can certainly understand that. You, so tell, tell our viewers... Where can you hear the show, and and what's the schedule? When do you do it? Um, when we're live, of course, we're it's during the Hamvention or during the Huntsville Hamfest during those hours. Like today, we'll be on from uh, uh, maybe ten thirty or so up until whatever time they close down here. Um, but the QSO show, which is basically a talk radio show <laughs> named QSO for all of us long-winded fellows. Um, and it's on Saturdays and Sundays on WTWW. Now, the frequencies, the best thing to do is check the website because here's what happens. We'll get a notification that says that, you know, some country across the world has decided now that they want to use a frequency. Would we be so kind as to move off that frequency? So then we got to find someplace else to go. And, and so what we do, we always try to accommodate, so we'll move. So we're on 5085 in the evenings with... Um, with a bunch of programming, we do country music on Saturday nights and 
we do some southern gospel music on Sundays and whatnot. But that might change. Two weeks from now, you may find us up the dial a little ways because someone is wanting to operate in another country somewhere. So the best thing is to look at the, at the website, qsoradioshow.com. Um, but, like, for the most part right now, um, we're on uh, 9930 uh, during the day on one transmitter. That transmitter then changes to 5085 at night. It gets really confusing. Now, QSO is on 9475 on Saturdays at 1 p.m. Central Daylight Time, and then at night we're on 5085. So we're on transmitter 1 during the day. At night we're on transmitter 2. And then on Sundays we'll operate on 12.105. And that transmitter, of course, has a much longer, I guess, a, a longer range. It reaches out a little bit further. You know than than the other two frequencies do, and of course that has to do with propagation. You just never know what the ionosphere is going to decide to do, or what the sun's going to spit out, or what's going to happen. You know, for the most part, it's pretty reliable. But then other times, you know, you may somebody tunes in and says, "What happened? You're not there." You know, so that means one of two things: either the transmitter broke, or we have a transmitter down, or the sun has decided to play a game that day, and now we have the ionosphere has moved its height or something. You know, and uh, uh, and I, I don't know. We, we broadcast a lot of times. We used to be on WBCQ, and there were times I couldn't even hear the station. I didn't know we were on or not. I have to call them and say, "Is it on?" You know, because yeah. <laughs> I couldn't hear them. You know, but some guy on the West Coast would give me a you know a twenty over nine signal report and say, "Wow, it's bombing in here." Or some guy on Guam, you know, listening would say, "Yo, guys are coming in like a box of rocks." You know, so. I don't. Does that answer the? I don't. I, yeah. yeah. How much power do you run? I, you know, shortwave transmitters. You just mentioned a couple of different frequencies, and and probably most folks haven't watched one of those things tune itself. That's that's an amazing accomplishment there to watch a shortwave transmitter go through its frequency changes. But how much power? Just just tell us a little bit about what you uh, what you use there. Um, we, right now we have two uh, Continental 100 kilowatt transmitters and one Harris, so we operate at the 100,000 watt level. And, and that's a lot of power. A lot of people would think, well, you know, uh, that you know, they, they relate to ham radio where you're dealing with 1,500 watts, the legal limit, and then you go to 100,000. There's a lot of weird things happen when you give above the 50,000-watt level. If you have something like a line arc or something like that, it can be pretty ma- major. Matter of fact, uh, I talk about power levels. I was at, um, I, I was at uh, another shortwave station one, one afternoon, and uh, it was getting toward dusk. And the gentleman that was actually watching the transmitter said, you know, they put a speaker outside down by the river, and, uh, and he said, and I can hear it real good. And I thought, what in the world? So I opened the window, and sure enough, you could hear this voice coming out of the river bottom. I mean, it sounded just, I mean, just echoing all over the place. And I began to look, and when I, when I got focused in on it, I could see it was a line arc. So the transmission line had started arcing. And evidently, the air around that arc, it was acting like an electrostatic speaker. And, I mean, it was echoing right up from the river bottom. And, of course, first thing I did was turn the thing off. I said, shut it off, shut it off. And they had to go out and fix it, you know. But uh, at the 100,000-watt level, you have all kinds of weird things happen. And then, of course, some stations run 250,000 watts, and then some run a half a megawatt or 500,000. And uh, I, I can't even imagine... What uh, 
anomalies take place. We did find out, though, I mean, through a lot of experimentation, 100,000 watts will give you pretty solid coverage for the, you know, to the entire world. Um, the, the problem when you get up to the 250 watt or 250,000 watt level is you, you, you spend a lot of downtime because things break at that level. You spend a lot, of, a lot of more money too, don't you? Oh, yeah. yeah, the electric, the electric meter spins quite, you know, quite frequently. But the, the things that you, you run into is like for a hundred thousand watts of actual power, uh, you got some pretty good sized tubes. And uh, my son David lives here. He, he can he can actually hug one of those things, put his arms around it, and sit it down inside the socket, and you know, pick it up and all that. But it's uh, and at that level, we're also using water cooling. Um, and the water in the Continentals use water cooling. The, the Harris's use a type of vapor cooling. But in the, in the Continentals, we have to filter the water through a nuclear-grade resin because there can be no conductivity because that, that water is coming in contact with the anode of that tube. You know? So, I don't know, it's, it's not an easy task. Shortwave broadcasting is, uh, but, I mean, television is the same way. And people have to deal with high-power television trans- transmitters. They've got the same scenario going there. So it's not really all that unusual. But when hams think about 100,000 watts on HF, you know, that all of a sudden you start talking about different things like water cooling and the size of tubes and, you know, that sort of thing. Well, you mentioned a moment ago that that you're doing a country show on there, too. Tell me a little bit about that. You're taking a little different angle, aren't you? Well, you know, one of the things that bothers me, that has bothered me about shortwave, when I was a kid... I used to listen to uh, the Voice of America. They had a program on called The Breakfast Show. I don't know if you remember that at all. And uh, it was like second to none. I mean, this thing was incredible. They might play a Loretta Lynn song. They may play a song by uh, the Beatles. They might play The Who. They may play Pat Boone or even a classical piece. And then they always had celebrities on from the United States. Uh, and that was the most compelling radio show. I mean, I just, uh, you know, I, I don't know what it was called, The Breakfast Show, but it seems to me I was catching it about 2 o'clock in the morning or something like that. It was somebody who was eating breakfast somewhere. And uh, I, so I, and, and now I tune in to shortwave, and, and I hear a lot of religious broadcasting. And a, lo- a lot of that is good. I mean, a lot of it is really good. And, and there's a lot of folks that really need to hear that. But then there seems to be this real vacancy for creative programming that, that people would just turn their radio on, kick back and enjoy and listen to music and whatnot. So we turn it into a uh, almost like a, I guess I want to say, a request and shout-out show where people write in from everywhere. And they, they make requests, and they just want us to say hello to them, you know. And I'm, I'm amazed because we work all 50 states every Saturday night, you know, without any trouble at all. And we play country. And it's all over the road. We play traditional stuff. We play newer stuff, whatever people want to hear. And, um, of course, I en- encourage hams to call in and even um, or to email uh, amateur clubs if they've got announcements or something going on. they got a ham fest plan. We'll talk about it on the air. It's just a kickback kind of you know, a reason to turn the radio on and sit back and relax. And every Saturday night, boy, I'll tell you, we get email responses just incredible. You know? so I think that's been missing from shortwave now for a long time. If you either you're going to uh, listen to some religious programming or you're going to hear some survivalist programs, and, and that's pretty much all I ever hear on shortwave anymore. It's hard to find any music programming on there that's in English. 
So I hope that'll turn around because it's a great medium and it's just, I feel like, being underutilized. Well, you know, the big thing is this. It's, I, I can tell you, I've done oldies shows. We did a show called, um, we, we were just turning on a brand new transmitter. And I called it, um, this is only a test, okay? And we just kept announcing, this is only a test, you know. And you can send us an email or call us or whatnot. And I played oldies. And, I mean, we were overrun. I mean, actually, what I did is I took all the emails that came in, printed them, and I took them down to our Kinko's and had the thing bound. It was this thick. And the guy said, well, my binder, I don't have binders any bigger. That's as much as we can put in there. So I, I put as many in as I could. And then I took it to the uh, National Religious Broadcasters Association. They just took it around and said, this is the response from one show. Well, they could go through and they could see the dates and the comments and all that kind of stuff. One radio show called This Is Only a Test. Now, we didn't advertise it anywhere. In other words, we just plopped a signal in the middle of the shortwave band and started playing music and talking. So the people are there. The only thing that's missing is the programming. You know. And there are a lot of radios today, probably more shortwave radios available today than have ever been. And that's true. Uh, I ran into a, an article, and I, of course you know I, I'm the troublemaker. Uh, I called the Texan Radio Company in Beijing because there was something printed that said they made 30,000 multiband radios a day. And I thought, that can't be right. So I, I, I called and got a hold of their PR guy, and he, he told me right out the gate. He said, yeah, we make about that. He said, not all the time, but that's, about, that's a good number. You know? And I said, well, where do they go? You know? And he said, well, all of your Radio Shack stores carry four or five models. And he tried to tell me, you know, like even in the smallest cities in the U.S. that have a Radio Shack store, you're going to find shortwave radios. And, of course, um, on eBay, I've been trying to get some statistics to find out how many shortwave radios actually sell over eBay, say, within a month or something like that. Uh, I'm told the figure is astounding. You know, there's a lot of people buy them. But I go back to a time when I was a kid. My dad gave me, matter of fact, I was lucky enough to find this out on the flea market. That's a Gruno. That's, exact, that's the exact radio I had when I was a kid. And it has wooden knobs on it. <laughs> that's the one I told you I had taken out and set it by the bed and all that kind of thing. Well, this is what shortwave radio used to be all about. So, I mean, and they claimed this was back when they said shortwave was in its heyday. Well, I think they got it backwards. You know, because even a, a, a Halicrafter's SX100, beautiful old radio, a small handheld Grundig will outperform a Halicrafters. And you can get a small handheld Grundig for uh, under $100. You know, and it'll outperform a desktop tube type radio. Well, now, of course, those things are everywhere. You know, Texan makes them, they're on eBay, everybody sells them, and you can get them real easy. And then they're portable. I mean, you can go outside and sit down at your picnic table or in a lounge chair and take it with you much just like a regular transistor radio because that's what it is and um so yeah the market is flooded with these things and they're everywhere and i think that's one of the reasons why we get we can get five or six hundred emails the first hour we're on doing the country music show uh is because there's a lot of people out there listening uh and of course with the lack of programming on shortwave when we come on you know we get the whole flock at one time, and they're all saying, hey, let's go over here and listen, you know. Um, so, but 
I think now is the heyday. I, I think, you know, and I hear, I know the Board of Broadcasting Board of Governors gave their report and everything, and in different countries they're signing shortwaves off and all that. But I look at it like this, hey, that's all, all the better for us. And our friend Alan Weiner up in Monticello, Maine at WBCQ, hey, uh, WRMI down in Florida, we just got more people tuning in now because they don't have anywhere else to go, and there's all these radios out there. It is kind of a weird thing, though, when you think about it. Well, it is, and and the transmission is out there. You don't need Internet service or anything. It's just there, and it's free, just like radio, except this is all over the world. This is not just in your city. So you've got that really potentially large audience base there. But let me shift gears a little bit. Of course, you're a ham. Do you ever find time to get on the air anymore? I, I, I do, but not as much as I used to, you know. And I, which brings a question: I wonder how did we ever find time to do all the things we did when we were younger? I can't figure it out. Of course, I'm doing a whole lot more things now than I was when I was younger, you know. But I, I get on. I enjoy 75 meters, and I think uh, probably 17 the, the bands, you know. I'm not much on VHF. It isn't that I have anything against it. I just for some reason, I just don't find myself in front of a two-meter rig or a 440 or anything like that. Um, I don't do a lot of data. I, I, I think a lot of it boils down to time, you know. But, but I enjoy the I enjoy the groups on 75 and 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 like on 3875. Every once in a while, there's a bunch of guys I know that'll show up on there and we talk and have fun. And then the Tennessee phone net 3980 and a few of those guys. I I, I really enjoy that. But you know, it's time. By the time I get done recording radio shows and working. All the other engineering stuff, I just, you know, there's not much time left. Yeah, I understand. I was about to ask you where I might find you on 80 meters. I, I'm kind of the same way. I'll, I don't get on every day. Um, I try to get on and do a little rag chewing at least once or twice a month. Sometimes I get on a little more than that, but just, just, I don't have time to get on every night. It's just, just too many things going on these days. But... Um, so, so you're primarily HF. That's your favorite thing, and I guess what eighty meters, right? Eighty meter phone, and I, I have a lot of guys <clears throat> that will write us over the QSO show. And of course, one thing I try to encourage people to do, I, and I have people say, well, you know, on, on eighty meters, there's all these groups and they're clicky and they want. And I say, well, you know what? You have much phone space there is on eighty. Move off on a frequency and call CQ. Yeah. Create your own roundtable, you know. And when you get on. Start asking questions. Find out about what their occupation is or their family or learn something about that person. Make a new friend. Isn't that amazing? With an amateur radio rig, you could, tonight you could go home, flip the thing on, and make a brand new friend, somebody you've never talked to before in your life, and find out all kinds of things about them and maybe even set up a schedule and talk to them again and again and again and eventually meet them somewhere at a ham fest at Dayton or someplace. Uh, I can't think of any other hobby that gives you those kind of, that kind of options, you know. You and I are both broadcasters, and there's something I've always wanted to do, but but I have never quite done it yet. And I just wanted to ask you, when one of these shortwave or AM stations is off the air, have you ever taken out your ham gear and loaded into the tower? <laughs> well, I, you know, there's nothing illegal about that. <laughs> um once in uh, in Clarksville, we had the AM off for an extended period of time, and I took a DX70 and an EDX2 tuner and connected it up to the tower and got on 160. 
And uh, I had the rig on low power. I don't know what those things are on low power, but anyways, everybody accused me of lying. They said, no, no, you're running an amplifier. You know, That was fun. Well, then the other night we had a situation where the power went off at the shortwave. And, of course, we've got three rhombics out there. But the power was down, so we had no transmitters on, period. Well, Matt, my younger son, he decided to be an instigator, and he said, look, let's hook Let's hook the EDX-2 up to one of these rhombics, and let's just see what it does. And I was thinking, oh, Lord. So he went and got the thing. And we didn't even disconnect the transmitter ballon. I mean, we just alligator clamped onto this thing. And, of course, the EDX-2 is probably going, what in the world is this, you know? But it loaded up somehow. I don't know. And uh, we got on, and I think we were on, what were we on? We were on 20 meters, and it was 2 o'clock in the morning. Now, you know, that's not a real good time for 20. We worked all over Europe on that thing. I mean, it was one European station right after another. And uh, it, that was phenomenal. We had a lot of fun with that. And um, I, don't, I, I guess, you know, if there was some way you could, you know, you could morally plan an outage uh, <laughs> without taking somebody off the air. But that was, I mean, we had a lot of fun. I mean, it was like 2 o'clock in the morning. We're all disgusted. What had happened is a snake had coiled up the power pole and got across the transformer primary and we also had a thunderstorm going through so we thought we'd gotten hit by lightning or something but the main one of the main fuses on the power pole had blown and it was hanging hanging off the power company came out took them forever to get the thing back on but we had to wait like three hours before the power company came and during that three hour time uh i we had more fun than you could that you could shake a stick at i mean it was like the most incredible thing, you know. And if somebody has the idea they want to build a rhombic, absolutely, those things talk. They really do. Two o'clock in the morning, we're all working all over Europe, you know. So uh, I remember when I was younger, I had a 500-foot long wire. And I used to have that same phenomenon. I knew at 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning, I was working in Europe when you wouldn't hear nothing on a dipole, you know. So there's something to be said for those antennas, you know. They really do, uh, they function well, you know, for what they are. Well, I, we hadn't talked about this, so I'm glad to see that you have actually done it and, and can report on, on what it's like. You mean you never had a broad, an AM broadcast station off the air and you have never coupled a ham rig to the tower? No, and I should have. I used to live right next to a three-tower direction. We had three 300-foot towers out there, and it would have been perfect. But like you say, uh, uh, planning an outage is a difficult thing. Well, you know, I, we, believe it or not, we usually always keep our Alenco DX70 and the antenna tuner in the in the vehicle. Now, of course, there's all kinds of good rigs. I mean, the uh, uh, the ICOM line has is, is got the little antenna tuners and stuff. And if a person's got their mobile with them and they, they keep that antenna tuner in the trunk, you know, telling what you may, you know, an opportunity comes along because there are times when a station goes off for an extended period of time and the engineer is sitting there waiting for something to happen, like the power company to show up, you know, or whatever, or maybe even waiting for parts to be delivered. And uh, there's that antenna just sitting there saying, hey, <laughs> why don't you hook up? We, we can have some fun here. <laughs> well, I've got that in mind. I have a friend that I do some engineering for now. He's just an AM daytimer, so he signs off at sunset. And he's a ham, too. And we have talked about going out there one night after sunset and loading in and, and see what we can do. It's only... Uh, it, it, this tower is less than 200 foot, but still, that that ought to do pretty decent on 160. Yeah, you just disconnect it from the ATU at the bottom and get you something like a Johnson matchbox or something, and 
you know, if, if you ever go, if he ever goes off the air at all, you can get out there and kind of prefab your uh, your uh, your tuning arrangement. And then when it does go off the air for any reason, you're prepared. You know, plus you never know in a, during an emergency. You know, yeah. when there's no power, that tower might work real good to pass traffic on 160. You know, or, or a, a frequency like that. Well, I know you're about to get on the air here. I think I've probably held you over a little bit. So, um, anything you want to tell us before we go? And I want to try to catch up with you again in Dayton next year, and you know wherever we we run into each other, and just get a report on how things are going. Well, the only thing is, I'm just going to say that this hobby is an incredible hobby. The reason why we're here totally and solely is to promote it, much exactly like what you do on Amateur Logic TV. And the only thing I was going to say is you got to try making your podcast just a little bit more radio-friendly because we're going to start putting your Amateur Logic TV on WTWW, so it'll be on next to Amateur Radio Newsline, you know. So you want to do yeah. a, little, a little bit less of well, Now, take a look at this. <laughs> yeah, there, there'll be some of that going on. If uh, So the shortwave listeners, use, use your mind to fill in those blanks and... Uh, you know, in sports, they have these guys called color guys that stand there. So what you really need to do is you need to add that, that color guy. So, and I say, well, well, right now he's soldering the resistor to the you know, the terminal and is melting the solder on the And then he steps back, and you keep your conversation going as to what you're doing. And the color guy jumps back in and says, now the battery connector is being hooked to the... You know, so maybe, maybe with the Internet now, we can get you to be our color guy sometime. <laughs> Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know how. I mean, uh, I, I wouldn't be real good at describing things because what would happen is I would get sidetracked and start talking about something. You'd have to, you'd have to burn me with a soldering iron to shut me up or something like that. You know, I haven't burned anybody with a soldering iron over the air or over the internet yet, but the technology is there certainly. <laughs> Even deliberately, you know, you set the thing. Good to talk with you, and we really appreciate you taking a few minutes out of your schedule here to chat with us today. And uh, congratulations on uh, the long run that the QSO radio show has had and continued success with that. And anything we can do to help you out, just let us know. We, we really like what you're doing. Well, I appreciate it, and I really, really applaud you for what you're doing because there's definitely a need for people who get on and do television like you do especially from an instructional standpoint and a practical standpoint where people can actually watch what you're talking about you know i think that is the the epitome of it because you can't i mean i don't know books can only tell you so much you know but actually seeing something is a completely different thing and i don't know how many times i've read something and i thought man i don't understand this and then you see somebody do it and you say oh that's all there is to this you know and I, so I applaud you. I think what you're doing is marvelous, you know, and the same thing with the folks over at Ham Nation. I know you're involved in both your Amateur Logic TV as well as Ham Nation, and I think that uh, both, of, uh, both of these uh, broadcasts are just absolutely incredible. And uh, my, what technology has brought us has been, has been really good, and I think it just, it just adds to our hobby. Yeah. We never would have been able to do this kind of stuff on the commercial band, so fortunately... Shortwave is at the point where you can get a little airtime on there, and we've got the internet. We can can produce content cheaply enough and put it out there, and it's just really, I think, helping spread the hobby all around. And we're getting so many more new hams today, and so many people here at the show I've talked to that, you know, like the guy that was just here, what he was ninety years old, and he's he's looking to get his license or get back in the hobby. 
it sounds to me, I haven't been able to gather the whole thing, but I think he was in it for a while, got out of it, and then he tuned in and listened to the broadcast with Charlie Emerson. Of course, Charlie is an incredible inter- guy to interview. He's just great, you know. So we got we got to talking about everything, including cornbread recipes, you know. And, uh, and, and this guy tuned in and heard it, and he wandered over here and talked to my son David, and he said, man, he said, that radio show has got my interest back up. He said, I want to go ahead and get my ticket again. And uh, he was just over here asking questions about that a few minutes ago. And I think that's what's really cool. That, that's really what makes it. Yeah. Well, thanks, Ted, and uh, continued success. And I'll let you get on the air now because I know there's probably people out there listening for you. And we're running some Phil stuff right now. So. <laughs> okay. All right. 73. 73, and thank you very much, sir. Here's our buddy Carl Jordan from Gigaparts. Good to see you again, Carl. It's good to see you, George. Um, how have you been? What has the uh, fest been treating you? It's been treating me good. You know, yesterday uh, we hid the camera, and I was able to walk the whole flea market, and I've never done that here before, and it was amazing. That's fantastic. You didn't you didn't have a lot of uh, groupies. I have. <laughs> nah, well, I talked to a few people, recognized me, but if we're not carrying the cameras. I, I can stealth through through the crowd a little better. Do you have Do you have a problem with people that want to be on camera? Is no. Is that normally the issue? No, not really. No, I have trouble with people not wanting to be on camera. Okay, I can understand that. But uh, no, it, it's always great to see people here, and, and some of them we've we've met over years past, and get to speak with them again. Meet a lot of new people too. But um, I wanted to get through the flea market, and I did. And I picked up a few little things, but I wanted to talk with you about some things y'all are doing here. We've talked about them before, and I just wanted to touch base and and see how it's going. Y'all are carrying the raspberry pie and Arduino kits now. Yeah, absolutely. And, in fact, we are, uh, I think, the first dealer with the DV Megas that uh, Tommy is so excited about right now. Yeah. So you you got, uh, I noticed you got probably most of the different models of these here, and, and that's the DV Mega? Yeah, absolutely. We, in fact, have the Raspberry Pi Model B Plus that just came out a couple of weeks ago, uh, which is also compatible for the DB Mega. Um, it, people have been really excited about these, and I, I think we have you guys to thank for most of that. Well, thank you. Um, I, I know we had a, a lot of interest. Everyday people are asking questions about it, and uh, Tommy's trying to answer them the best he can because he's kind of new at it too, but he did get it up and running, and he likes it. Oh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. And the, the point of amateur logic uh, and amateur radio is uh, for hobbyists, and, and this fits perfectly with that same group of people. It's, uh, it seems like a very natural fit. I, I, I'm glad that project boards and, and ham radio are coming together so nicely. Well, I am too because people are just about quit building stuff. And now this lets us uh, tie in a little bit of just not major but some minor computer programming with it because you can find most of the programs out there for what you want to do already you might need to just tweak things here and and you're learning something in the process yeah we've talked to a lot of people that said almost exactly those same words this weekend so i also see you got the turbo tuner too here you know i bought one of these last year when i was over here yeah i remember that there was a fellow with you uh named wayne that didn't buy one even though he promised he would Yeah, he didn't. He he finally got got uh, fixed up with a tuner and a little Tar Heel later. But you know, I bought the little Tar Heel too as well last year, and we put it on out in the parking lot here. And I gotta say, I was a little 
hesitant at first, thinking, do I really need to invest this kind of money in an antenna and a tuner? But now that I've had it for a year, I'd say definitely. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, it's it's absolutely worth the money, and we've heard that from, I think, everybody in the last couple of years. Uh, this is the... I, I'm, I'm sure everyone who has researched the subject knows this is the second version of the Turbo Tuner. Uh, Turbo Tuner 2 is actually made by uh, an engineer local to us here. Uh, so it's it's really easy for uh, for us to get whatever you need. Uh, we also have been uh, offering service work for all the old ones from N2VZ. And so far, I think we have a 100% success rate on that as well. And Wayne and I were walking out in the parking lot here. Well, back and forth to the ham fest. And I, I just had a realization last night. I got to thinking all of a sudden. Looking Everybody, everybody's got screwdriver antennas. Exactly. Looking, you know, we always, you have to, you can't miss the antennas that are ham fast on the vehicles. Yeah. But I didn't see hardly any HF antennas that weren't screwdrivers this year. Oh, yeah. I was thinking the same thing this morning even, just uh, coming through uh, one of the hotel parking lots on the way around the Civic Center, just. Every car that had an HF antenna had a screwdriver. And there's a good reason now Now I know. <laughs> yeah, it's become easier than ever to use it, absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's, um, you got all the bands right there. It, it is much easier. I had an Outbacker before, and it was a good antenna, and it worked. But, you know, yeah. you'd have to pull over and change bands and, and do all of that stuff. So there's a lot of times you just wouldn't change bands. But now I don't even think about it. Right, exactly. It's it's all automatic, and that makes a world of difference. It's absolutely worth the uh, the the investment to to get that last piece you were missing. Yeah. So, what do you think about the ham radio community in general this year? You know, you talk to folks every day on the phone there at Gigaparts, and is the hobby still growing? Do you think? Absolutely, yeah. Um, for a couple of years, we could actually watch the growth based on things like Ham Nation uh, that was appealing to a whole new audience. Uh, but even now, uh, stuff like uh, Disaster Relief always brings us a, a huge influx of interest when people realize how helpful hams always have been as first responders. Um, the amateur uh, uh, project boards have brought in a lot of additional interest. Uh, it's it's still growing and from a lot of different angles, absolutely. And if you need something for your ham radio station, where is the best place to go to, to research that and find it? Oh, well, clearly Gigaparts. Yep. <laughs> uh, and because we are, uh, we're also a computer store, all of us are, are big computer nerds, and that, that makes it really easy for us to, to help you get stuff like your project board interest as well. Well, it wouldn't be Huntsville without running into my old buddy here, Joe Eisenberg. Joe, it's good to see you again. Good to see you again, George. It's always fun to see you here. And I understand you're an international traveler now. Well, you know, it was the first time in 43 years I've been out of the country, and I got to go, courtesy of the Dayton Amateur Radio Association, to the Hamfest in Friedrichshafen, Germany. And our job there was to promote coming to the Dayton Hamvention. And I also got a chance a bit to explore there and see some of the neat things they do in uh, Europe. In fact, it's Europe's largest ham fest. had over 17,000 people there. Part of it was a maker fair. And uh, they also had lots of kit building activities in several different areas. And, and it was really a unique experience to go overseas to a ham fest and see some of the guys I've worked in Europe. In fact, I got to uh, give them some QSL cards. Well, who supported you in that? Who, who's the one that said, Joe, you got to go? 
Well, a lot of people have told me I got to go, and then uh, an offer came up to uh, travel with the Dara team to promote Dayton Hamvention, which, as you know, is one of my big loves. All my life is coming to Dayton, and so it was a chance to show that enthusiasm to the hams in Europe and show them how much fun you could have at Dayton. So, would you recommend? To, of course, all of us can't do it, but would you recommend if you have the means? That, that is pretty much like a Dayton. you got to go at least once. Yeah, I would say at least once. It's, it's a very unique experience to go where, uh, surprisingly, most people will speak English, but, uh, of course, you'll hear German spoken as well as other European languages, and it's just so much fun to see things in their flea market and uh, what kind of prices they pay for equipment, and some of the unique things you could find over there. Like I brought home a couple of small uh, Cold War CW keys, which were really nice. Wow. So what is the flea market like? Is Do you see the, the same gear over there, or is it really a lot different? It's actually a lot the same. You'll see a lot of the same things. I saw a lot of Drakes and Collins and other Kenwoods, Yesus, Icoms, things like that, that you see here. But the difference is you see a lot also of some unusual older stuff. You see a lot of European uh, antique, like, table radios and stuff, uh, Telefunken and things like that. And you, you also see a lot of Cold War-era military radios. In fact, a lot more than what you would see here because, of course, we had a large military presence there since after World War II. So you'll find a lot of military radios, including from both sides of the Iron Curtain, because once that barrier was dropped, a lot of that gear came into play at the ham fest, and so it was a lot of fun to see it. What about pieces and parts? Do, do, do they bring a lot of components and stuff? I mean, are there boxes stacked under the table like, like in a typical U.S. ham fest? Yes, definitely. There was no difference there. Uh, uh, it was a lot of fun. There was a lot of people selling all kinds of tubes, transistors, ICs, uh, all the different parts like we get here. Uh, that was no different. Um, there was uh, some kits and things like that as well. So did you find anything that, th that you just had to have that you brought back with you? Well, I brought back four different kits with me, and... Uh, uh, two of them are put out by Funk Amateur, which was originally the amateur radio organization and magazine from East Germany before the Iron Curtain came down 20 years ago. And so before reunification, that was their organization and their magazine. Well, they now kind of exist kind of like CQ Magazine does in this country. It's an alternative to the DARC publications. And they sell a, a large variety of kits, some made in the United States, some made there in Europe, and some are their own. The best kit I think I brought back was the Fifi SDR. Now, you can build an SDR kit in about 20 minutes, and this was, this was a lot of fun. Um, it's really all surface mount, and the builder gets to put on like six or seven uh, through-hole components to complete it and put it in the box. And that makes it uh, a lot less expensive tax-wise in Europe because it's a kit instead of a finished product. And you get a little experience putting some parts on a board. It is not a kit that I would recommend if you want the whole experience of putting all those parts on, but not a lot of people have a lot of skill with tiny little surface mount parts. So 
it, it's actually pretty easy. You put on a coax connector, a switch, um, an LED, you know, a couple things that are pretty easy to do. And you put it into the box, and you close it up, and you hook it to your USB port on the computer. And now you have an HF SDR that has switchable pre-selectors, and it's actually an excellent HF receiver. Is that a very expensive kit? Uh, it's around $149. So what about the builders themselves, the, the people who are building kits or making things? Are they pretty much like they are here? It's just, just all over the road from, you know, uh, uh, a rocket scientist down to, to some guy who just got his first soldering iron? Or, or what's a typical builder like? Speaking with them, what's, what was your impression? Well, they were very much the same as they are here, and we all have the same fun doing it. Now, what was interesting was that in the main Hamfest Hall, they had an area right behind where our booth was. It was run by DARC, and they had an L-shaped area that held about 20 kit builders at one time. And it was different than the way we've traditionally seen it and the kind of things that I've done. Where I've done it, I've had tables uh, kind of spread around me, and I and one or two helpers would walk around and help people out. There, they had a helper in front of each builder. So it was a one-on-one kit-building experience, and it was mostly for kids. And what they did was they used a block of wood, and they put a sticker on it. It had the circuit diagram and black circles on it. And then they used a little tack hammer and pounded brass thumbtacks onto those black dots. Now you have a circuit diagram with pads. And then they took a soldering iron and put a blob of solder on each of those pads and then used that to attach the components. Kind of like what we call Manhattan-style construction, but without the ground plane. So it was done on wood, so I guess it had that nice mellow sound to it when you got through. Well, they were very interesting. The The younger kids made a thing called Katzenaugen, and in German that means cat's eyes. And uh, on the other side of the block of wood, a little four-inch square block, uh, was a picture of a cat, and it had two holes where the eyes were, and it had two LEDs that went through there, and they would change color from red to green. And it was kind of a, a flip-flop type oscillator. It went back and forth. And so they would uh, change from red to green. And that, you know, that was something that a kid could take home and say, I made this. Yeah. And they can show their friends. And it's nothing, you know, really complicated. They also had a simple AM broadcast receiver. Uh, they had a kind of a European-style siren that if you put your hand over the photo cell, it would set it off. And they had a code practice oscillator with a little key on it. And uh, all were made with that uh, thumbtack point-to-point construction. So would you say that they're seeing a resurgence of people building things like, like we're seeing here in this country now? Definitely. In fact, that was one of the reasons why this year they incorporated a maker fair into the Friedrichshafen Hamfest, And that was because there's such a cross between amateur radio and the maker world. Because the makers, a lot of times, like to use amateur radio technology. And hams like to use some of the technologies that the makers use. Uh, there's a lot of crossover, a lot of use of Raspberry Pi, uh, Beagle Board was big, um, Arduino-based things. Uh, there were uh, uh, just a whole host of things, 3D printers. Um, they even had a steampunk computer uh, made out of an old Remington typewriter that was absolutely incredible. And so there's a lot of 
uh, tinkering and stuff that we do and they do, and we can learn from each other. They, they were making Raspberry Pi cases out of a 3D printer. Wow. So I guess really the world is just getting smaller now. I mean, we, we've got so much communications with each other that things that we're doing here, it doesn't take 10 years or so for it to filter over to Europe or a country like Germany. I mean, we're all doing it at the same time. Well, actually, some of the stuff we do came from there. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the kits, like the uh, the uh, very common things, that w- it's not really a kit, but these uh, the SDR, uh, SDR sticks are actually European TV converters for laptops, and we have adopted them as SDRs as they have in Europe. And so uh, there are technologies that go both ways. That, that's great. And we're all learning something from it, and... Uh, boy, I mean, the more people we got building stuff, the the more resources are going to be available to all of us because you share the knowledge with with each group, and and somebody learns something out of it. Did you see anything there that just really set you back? Wow, this is this is amazing. Well, there were a lot of uh, small things and stuff, different different kits, different things to to work on. Um, I, I don't know if one item would be the big wow, but there were some kits, I think, from Finland that were uh, surface mount. A lot of them were surface mount, uh, HF transceivers, sideband and CW, that uh, were absolutely superb. And to see the job these people did putting them together was, was amazing. Uh, they also had regular through-hole versions of the same things. And... Um, uh, just in general, to see the enthusiasm, to know there's people around the world that share the same enthusiasm as we do. And, it's, it, of course, it's in Germany, but it's not really just a German ham fest, is it? It's, no. It's all of Europe, huh? In fact, we were right at the lake shore of Lake Constance. They call it Bodensee. And the view from the ham fest, if you looked out over the lake, was the Swiss Alps. So Switzerland is right across the lake. Austria was a 20-minute drive away, as was Liechtenstein. Uh, France was only a couple hours away. So you had hams from all over Europe there. Uh, What was interesting about the Ham Fest, kind of unrelated to kit building, is the main exhibit hall had the commercial exhibits, about half of the room, and the other half was clubs and organizations. And then the flea market took up two full halls besides that. So it was pretty big. Then the Maker Fair had its own hall. And then there was another hall yet that was nothing but youth activities. And they were doing a special event station. And they were building fox hunt antennas and doing fox hunts and participating in the balloon launch that had instruments and uh, APRS on it. I was able to track the APRS from the balloon. It was a lot of fun, a lot of things going on. Now, in the main exhibit hall, like I said, half is clubs and organizations. And what they did was interesting that you wouldn't see at a ham fest here. A lot of these were national organizations, kind of their version of the league in different countries. And you would walk up to their booth and they would have little snacks and stuff, little uh, European cookies and candies, and quite often wine or beer. And they would pour you a little cup, you know, and they'd give me a little tiny plastic cup. And... I learned that you're supposed to tell them how many centimeters do you want in the cup, and I'd just say two centimeters, right? And uh, they'd pour about two centimeters in there, and then they'd go, whoops, here's a little more. And, of course, uh, you were expected to uh, finish that up. 
and uh, make it to the next club booth. Yeah, we've got a fly in here trying, trying to get on camera there. So you hear that, Dayton and Huntsville? We need free wine and beer at the exhibits. That was fun, and that was unexpected because, of course, that's not allowed in this country. And the other unusual thing was to see younger people drinking there as well (laughs) because the legal drinking age there was 16. Wow. So that was kind of a culture shock. But uh, um, the kids were very nice and respectful, and um, I met some boys that were in the age range of 11 to 14 that spoke perfect English, and they had read my my columns in CQ, and they were surprised to see me there, and they were all excited to ask questions about which kit should they build next, and they told me all the ones they'd built already. So it's it, ham radio is not dying in Europe. Well, that's great, Joe. Well, we appreciate you giving that report there on Friedrichhofen, and I I don't know if I'll ever make it over there. It's kind of kind of on my my list of things I need to do now. I guess after hearing your stories about it. Well, anything you want to say before we go? Is there there anything special coming up that um, people might want to be uh, putting on their list of, of of things they may want to build or, or whatever? Well, I don't have anything uh, exactly super special yet. Uh, in the September CQ, you'll see my article about the Fifi SDR kit as well as a companion kit, which is a audio speech processor for the FT-817, 857, and 897. And like that other kit, all you got to do is the through-hole parts. In about 20 minutes, you'll have it all put together. And, boy, it makes a big difference in how loud those QRP radios are. Yeah. really helps a lot. Wow. That that does sound like an interesting kit there. That's that's kind of in my alley. I might have, to, might have to check you out and build along on that one. That's a very easy kit and a lot of fun. Like I said, the the bottom of the board has all the surface mount on it. All you do is put the stuff on the top, and away it goes. Well, thanks, Joe. Good to see you, and I guess we'll probably see you again next uh, next year in Dayton. I hope at Dayton. Seventy three. Seventy and thanks a lot, George, for all your wonderful programs. Thank you. I told you uh, a year or so ago. Here's something you don't hardly ever see. That's Ray Novak working. He's back behind here getting this display put back together so he can pack it up and head to the next ham fest. I think he's got a flight out of here soon, so he's in a hurry. We won't have long to talk with him, but I did want to say hello and uh, appreciate them coming here to Huntsville and and everything that they do. Hi, Ray. I know you're busy. Uh, Just a little bit here. Got a little little bit of a... About a two and a half hour to commute up to Nashville and then wheels up at 5.30. So I'd much rather be sitting on the other side of security relaxing than on the other side panicking. I understand that. Uh, and i got to get on a flight myself Monday and head out. And I'm thinking the same thing. So you, you're getting a reprieve. I mean, you're actually going to take a vacation and go home, huh? Well, I wouldn't call it a vacation, and and it seems like you've been talking to my YL because uh, she's a little fed up with my traveling right now. So what's your next trip? I'm not even considering what my next trip is right now. I'm just enjoying it. I got three weeks at home, and one of them is a three-day weekend. Oh, boy, that sounds like a lot of fun. Well, uh, appreciate y'all coming here to Huntsville and all the ham fests that you go to. I know 
the booths are always busy and you're helping people learn features on their radios and such and and that's great because not everybody does that no and and it's fun to do and uh here we are at another ham fest together i mean i'm getting a reputation that you're my traveling buddy so they're they're like where's george at this show and well he's back in mississippi yeah i don't i don't make nearly the number of ham fests that you make but uh I try to make the ones that I can. Of course, this is one I can't miss. What What do you think about Huntsville this year? How How do you think it's been? Well, we were busy all day yesterday. I had uh, two of my friends from the K5TIT group in Dallas uh, helping me answer all kinds of questions. And yesterday, all three of us were real busy. So it felt good. Coming to Huntsville is like a homecoming for me because I grew up not too far from here. So I get to see a lot of friends and some family when I'm out here. Well, that's great. Well, Ray, I'm not going to hold you because I know you've got a lot to pack up here and uh, get on the other side of Homeland Security there. And good luck getting through, you know. I, I don't guess you, you – you're a frigging flower. You, you probably know all the tricks to, to smuggle the radios through and everything you need. Uh, right now is just making sure they're charged so when they ask me, can you show me that this electronic device works, that it does function. So uh, anything that I can't power up, i got to ship now. Wow, I didn't even know that. So that's good information to know. Make sure your batteries are charged before you get on the uh, line there to security. Oh, yeah. Well, it was good to be here, and luckily this stuff packs up nicely and folds up. If I had to stuff them all in boxes like the guys behind us over here at MFJ, I'd be here for a long time. All right, Ray, 7-3. All right, 73, everybody. Enjoy it. Here's our friend Richard Stubbs from MFJ and the whole line of MFJ companies. Richard, I saw you had a nut driver in your hand. What's going on? Well, it's about tear, ta- tear down time, George. You know how it is. You know, the ham fest starts slowing down a little bit. It's time to start taking down the antennas and and uh, pulling it down a little bit because it's going to take us all day to get out of here. So uh, once the door prizes get announced, it's, it's pretty much over. Yeah, so... Uh, what do you think? Was it a good ham fest this year? Big crowd, uh, lots of sales. We were very busy, and, uh, you know, it's always a good ham fest. Huntsville's excellent. What feed us well, too. So, Well, that's important, too. So <laughs> what's next? We are going to uh, Shelby, North Carolina, for the Labor Day weekend, the granddaddy of them all. We're, we keep trying to revive that one back up to where it was. And then uh, going to Paris, uh, Texas. <laughs> I knew that's where you were. <laughs> yeah, they're a good buddy down there, main trading company. He's been begging us for years to go down, so we're finally going to go down there and visit Paris. And So MFJ Truck will be at Paris. and We're going to Helena, Birmingham in October and, and uh, Paris, Texas with main trading and uh, uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana. we got a bunch of them. We'll, we'll stay on the road. So you, you finally um, blew out the old truck, huh? You got another one now? No, it's actually the same truck. We had rebuilt the engine, and it cost us about $9,500 to do so. But a new, new truck nowadays is going $40,000 versus where it used to be about fourteen, eighteen thousand. 18000 So we had to make that smart decision. So she's got 339,000 miles on her right now. All MFJ miles, Hamfest miles, Hamfest miles, international truck. So it should it should be good for another three hundred thousand now. Wow! So you you're probably one of the most traveled hams 
Aside from Ray there, I expect he puts as many Ray, miles as you do. Ray puts in more, but he does it through the air. You know, no, nobody puts more miles on riding and driving than we do, me and Jimmy here. So it's uh, we're, we're, we're the longest truck drivers, I, I would say, by far. Well, good to see you again, Richard, and uh, I don't know where we'll see you next, but I'm sure it won't be long. It's good to see you too, George and Wayne. Wayne got him a new Tar Heel antenna from us and a controller, so, yeah, he's all fired up, so that's a great deal. As a matter of fact, I was looking at that uh, antenna analyzer a while ago, commenting on how much I liked that, but I don't even remember the model number now. 225, that's the uh, digital with the bar graph and everything, yeah. I was commenting on that. We were out there at 10.30 last night putting that Tar Heel on and tuning things up and getting the tuner installed, and everything worked great. You can tell Wayne's in love with it already, so he's yeah. been envying yours for a long time, I think. Well, I bought mine here last year at, at Huntsville, so, uh, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Great antenna. That's great. Everybody should have one, I think. And that's something we were talking about earlier going through the parking lot. It just occurred to me. Out of all the antennas you see sticking up on the vehicles out there, I think I have seen, as far as HF antennas go, more screwdriver antennas than anything else, way more than any other HF antennas this year. Yeah, and I think probably majority of them are Tar Heel, and, and we sell Tar Heel, and we, we combine with them to make the controllers for them too, so it's, it's, a, it's a very good thing for us. So we like it. Thanks, Richard. All right, George, take care. See you. KF4BOG, Michael here with the Huntsville Ham Fest. And Michael, what do you do over here? Well, I'm the special needs coordinator for Madison County Aries, and I help people with disabilities get involved in amateur radio. So, do, do y'all have anything special here at the Ham Fest for, for uh, people with, uh, you know, need special accommodations or, or anything they need? You're, you're the guy who takes care of it? <laughs> Yes, and uh, I point them to the right person that can uh, help them get the accommodations that they need for the ham fest, such as uh, wheelchair access or anything that needs to be done for adaptation. Oh, that's good. So are you involved with the Handy Ham organization? I know that's a big organization for, uh, you know, people with disabilities. And we do have a lot of people with disabilities in amateur radio. Yes, I am. As a matter of fact, I'm directly involved with the Courage Handyham system as well as many other agencies uh, that deal with people with de- developmental delays. So what do you think about the ham fest this year? Was it a good one? Oh, yes. It was a very good ham fest. Uh, every ham fest I've been to uh, has been a very successful ham fest. I've been a licensed ham since uh, 1995. Uh, my dad was a major help in getting me uh, my amateur radio license. Uh, the way he got my amateur ra- helped me get my, my amateur radio license was through audio tapes. Um, that's how I learned it was through having my tests audio recorded. And uh, when I went to take my test, uh, it was done verbally through uh, verbal written testing. Yeah, well, I imagine uh, a lot of people get it that way. And fortunately today, you know, we've got the technology that it's real easy to, to produce audio tapes or CDs or, or whatever we need as training aids. You know, and it's hard for people with disabilities to learn the test theory now because technology is hard to find for people with disabilities to be able to take testing. 
and especially with the way that testing is administered now. But now they've come out with technology and the flashcards and things now that allow you to take the test a lot more efficiently, uh, which is available now. You can take it with flashcards and uh, audio tapes and stuff like that. I encourage people to join the Handy Hams Network um, at uh, www.handyham.org because that is a significant tool that helps people get their uh, amateur radio licenses for people with disabilities. Well, thanks for talking with us, Michael. It was good to meet you, and we'll look forward to seeing you over here again next year. And I do plan to be here again next year, and also check out my website, www.hamradiotv.tk. All right. Thanks. 73. 73s. Here's Charlie Emerson in for OKL, the chairman of the Huntsville Ham Fest for many years running here. Charlie, how has Huntsville 2014 turned out? Oh, it's absolutely been a, a barn burner for us. We think that, uh, that we've, uh, if there is a bar for us, I think this year we've uh, raised the bar a little bit. Seriously, uh, we had a, a really, really good crowd that, uh, that absolutely blew us away with the, uh, the ticket sales. And uh, we had, a, had an incident last year with our old ticket barrel that had been there for so long, and, and, uh, and it finally broke. Well, we were storing it here. Evidently, they thought it was trash or something, but they got rid of it, and uh, we had to scramble at the last minute because we always counted on it being here. And uh, I borrowed one from uh, Cahaba Shrine uh, Temples, where I'm a member, and uh, we got the, the biggest barrel that they or ticket barrel that they had there. And I thought it would be plenty big, but all of a sudden, uh, it was absolutely and within 45 minutes, it was too full for anything to even rotate. So we had to improvise, uh, <laughs> and we came we came up with a garbage big garbage can. And you know, actually, it, it it worked out a little bit better because we could reach down in and and we could actually rotate the stuff to the top like a washing machine. And uh, and actually had a better better rotation than than we would have in the in the barrel, and so uh, that worked out okay. But but we we think that we've had a, a, a well, we know we've had a bigger show than we've had maybe ever. Uh, this this may be our biggest year. So we we know that we, that we've had over five thousand, and uh, I don't know how much over or whatever. We never know exactly. Uh, but we always try to shoot for just a little bit below or a little bit. Uh, uh, above or whatever, but we think that we really raised the bar a little bit this year. Well, I saw that big trash barrel sitting over there, and I almost threw a, a, a Coke cup in it, and then I said, no, it, that's for the tickets. They got that many tickets here. Well, boy, let me tell you what. I had a heart attack uh, just about happened last night uh, when we were closing down. Um, one of the last ones out, of course. And uh, the guys had, they uh, when we did this, you know, we had to put two uh, garbage uh, had two garbage cans there. We had one marked for trash, and one marked for tickets, and uh, people were occasionally putting something in there with the tickets anyway. So you know, we we got by that. Well, last night, you know, everything breaks down, and uh, and the cleanup guys are coming around and all that stuff. And I came back over and looked. Man, our ticket barrel was gone. Our, our our ticket trash can was gone, and and they were kind of. And man, I tell you, I got in touch with everybody. 
uh, started panicking because Lord have mercy. <laughs> if if they would have thrown that away, man, I'd have, Buenos Aires would have been the only a stop for me to go further. I, I'd have had to get out of here, you know. But uh, but they, uh, uh, what had happened is the prize uh, chairman and uh, the podium guy took everything to the show office and locked it up. So, man, I told him, I said, bless y'all's hearts, man. <laughs> you know, just absolutely, man, like to, like to freak me out. But but everything turned out good in the, in the end. So all that ends well, is, you know, is, is good. So, Well, that's great. Yeah, I imagine there have been a lot of angry folks there. <laughs> Boy, it sure would have because we didn't have any more tickets. We still didn't. We're about out right now. We are out. We had to had to quit selling the, uh, the uh, uh, 250 packs. Uh, that you know that you get for a hundred bucks, and uh, but we're going to adjust two things next year. We're going to adjust the the ticket amount that we've got, not the price, but the amounts. Plus, we're going to get a much bigger uh, uh, ticket barrel, a, a bigger trash barrel. So, yeah, right, a bigger <laughs> trash barrel. And boy, I'll tell you what, you you ought to hear the comments that I had about that. I, I tell you, man, these guys are, they're throwing the tickets away. This is the garbage and all of that. Man, I heard it all. Believe me, but but it, it worked out okay. Okay in the end, so uh, you know all's well that ends well. You know. Well, Charlie, we appreciate you talking with us once again. A, a great Huntsville Ham Fest here. We always enjoy driving over, and and y'all do it right over here. Well, we appreciate all the, the kind comments. We've had a lot of good comments about it. We got a good venue, and uh, we're we're just trying to, to keep the show going, grow the show a little bit, and we certainly do think that we we we've grown it this year with the crowd. So, George, we appreciate you guys uh, that come over because that gets us out and, and to everybody. And so we really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And tell Bob Howe when you see him to kind of clean up a little bit and comb his hair and, and, and come on down to Huntsville next year. No, I'll, just I will do that. I, I would do it with Gordon West, too, but it wouldn't do any <laughs> it good. It wouldn't do any good with Gordon. No, that's a good deal. I talked to Bob the other night on the radio, and uh, – talking about something and uh it's always good to catch him on there you know and it's you know he's such a celebrity and all that and I, I, bob is a good guy you know we got a we got a term term down here in the south that we use and you're probably uh, aware of it you know when you really care about somebody we say we love you worse than anything <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah. so so i love old bob worse than anything but anyway thank you thank you very much and uh you guys are always welcome in in uh, anything that you need from huntsville Feel free to, you know, let us know about it, and we'll sure try to make it a done deal. Thank you. All right, 73, Charlie. 73, my brother. I think it's about time for things to get cranked up here. Let's go on in and see if we can't. Well, I think it's about time for us to get. And then all of a sudden the water's just going to be off when we start talking. I, I don't know how I look. I don't think I've brushed my hair in a day. You look like you normally look. <laughs> 
Well, here's Carl Jordan from Gigaparts, our contact over. Here's our old pal from Gigaparts, Carl Jordan. Good to see you again, Carl. It's always good to see you, George. Uh, Let's do that again. Okay. So. Yeah, a little more natural. Yeah. Sure. Well, here's our buddy, Carl Jordan. Well, Carl, anything else you you think uh, worth mentioning before we leave? Something that we've just got to know about that that we might have missed? Maybe I shouldn't have put you on the spot like that. 